And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. DirecTV gives you access to apps like Netflix and live sports right next to each other. I don't get it. Let me put it in pigeon terms. It's like that one amazing dumpster with the old fruits and cardboard all in one place. How am I supposed to keep up with illustrative metaphors when you are making me so hungry? Get live TV and streaming apps together without a satellite. Visit directtv.com. Requires high-speed internet-connected Gemini device and separate paid subscription to watch Netflix on DirecTV. Terms and restrictions apply. The Athletic. Hello, I'm Dan Bardell. Welcome to 1874, the Athletics podcast all about Aston Villa Football Club. Joined today by Holly Percival. Holly, you've been crying off a little bit recently. We get you back. And then Greg cries off. Well, I mean, is it a worthy trade? I don't know, but it's nice to be back. It was it was just all the time of being ill and then unavailable for other personal stuff and then being away last week. But it's it's always nice to be back with, with you. Thank you. Lovely, lovely words, Holly. And of course, it makes complete sense that you would be back off the back <laughs> of a defeat. We, we win three in a row. You come back on your own and we lose. But, you know, it's one of them defeats. I don't really mind it. I mean, I never like losing, but I understand why we lost to West Ham. I think there is a difficult opposition as you can face away from home. And Gerard talks about the physicality after the game and... There wasn't much in that game, but I think West Ham are further ahead than we are. It was a narrow defeat. We've won three in a row before that. It's one of those ones that you kind of just take on the chin a little bit. Yeah, definitely. Um, you know, I think where, with where West Ham are at, they're, they're where Villa want to be next season and across the next two seasons. And, you know, that kind of little gap between themselves and us was shown in that 2-1 defeat on the weekend. So I think those there was a couple, of again, of individual performances for West Ham that really helped help them seal the deal um and you know Villa kind of got caught out by those uh, individual performances a little bit but like like you said I'm 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 not overly mad about the result especially because you could tell Villa were trying to chase the game when they were down um and that kind of ultimately did also lead to West Ham's second goal of the game so I'm not overly mad about about the performance but as long as we can look to bounce back from it and not have it start a, a bad run of results then hopefully it'll be fine yeah first half I thought I thought Villa were good actually I thought they competed with West Ham. Villa probably had the first 20 minutes and could have perhaps gone 1-0. Then West Ham grew into the game, ended the game strongly. But 0-0 at half-time, I was relatively happy with what I'd seen because I remembered the game back in, I think, I can't remember if it was October. I think it probably was October when Villa played West Ham at home, October, November. Lost 4-1, just got completely played off the park. West Ham just looked a far better side than Villa. But Villa competed in that in that in that first half and stood up to everything that West Ham threw at them for the second phase of, of the first half. But like I said, Villa were on top for that first twenty minutes, playing some of that nice intricate, short, snappy football that Steven Gerrard likes to play. Yeah, definitely. I don't know about you, but I get quite nervous for the first 15, 20 minutes every time Villa plays still because I'm not always sure whether we're just going to be overly chaotic in trying to get an early goal and potentially concede from that or we are kind of, I don't know, too slow paced and kind of invite pressure. Um, But I feel like Villa kind of found a really good balance between the two in that situation, um, knowing that West Ham, you know, have a good press and, and can also be quite punishing on the counter. So we looked quite uniformed and I think that kind of starting 11 surprisingly did really well obviously Chambers kept his place over Konza coming back in and that kind of front three still looked really kind of gelled and unified which was nice to see so 
I think it was almost kind of undeserving maybe to not really overly test. Obviously, Fabianski made a really great save um, to deny Danny Ings as well. So it was a tough one, I think, when probably we went down the tunnel at half time because I don't know, maybe Villa thought they did deserve a goal um, because they had worked so hard and, and had been so clinical, which is always what Steven Gerrard is looking to get out of his Villa team. But yeah, I mean, it's hard to really pinpoint the key areas where Villa went wrong because West Ham just seemed to kind of take two really good chances and, and, and be clinical in those. So again, like you said, not one that you can be, in my mind, overly frustrated with performance-wise from Villa because we've definitely seen them play worse than what they did on the weekend. Yeah, Luca Dean was lost quite early. That probably did, didn't help, you know, as much as I like Ashley Young. He's more of a sturdy person. Coming in at left back, Luca Dane definitely gives you a little bit more going forward. So that was a little bit of a disappointment to lose him so early. There's a potential, I haven't really heard it talked about much. I thought there was arguably a penalty in in there for Villa with Fabianski absolutely cleaning Watkins out. It appears that a goalkeeper can basically do what they like, but as soon as you sneeze on a goalkeeper in the penalty area, they'll get a free kick. Watkins did get did get wiped out, and it wasn't really talked about. But I did think arguably that could have been a penalty. I'm not going to complain about it too much, but I think it's a discussion point. I think it definitely is. I think I've been quite quick to erase it from my mind because it's one of those where I feel like we've seen a few times this season, a few times last season that that just aren't given, and it kind of seems like a weird, peculiar situation for one not to be given. Because, like you said, you feel like any player goes near a goalkeeper and a a free kick's awarded to the opposing team but you know a goalkeeper gets near an attacking player and even if an attempt or a shot's being made there's still not a foul given so um it's it's a really weird one similar to when Diaz scored for for Liverpool but was wiped out clean and and there was no red card um but VAR did also check it so I I don't know whether because he scored off of it that it was fine but obviously Watkins didn't capitalize on, on the chance that he had so it's a really confusing one for me with, with VAR and, and also just refereeing decisions when it comes to, to the way goalkeepers act and the, and the situation with Watkins. So, like I said, I've tried to erase it from my mind because I know that I'm one of those Villa fans that can get a little bit caught up on those little decisions, especially when you feel like it should have gone your way. But it's definitely a talking point. Um, and I, again, I think Villa did well to not let it overburden their decision making and overburden kind of the performance they were putting in. So, Louise booted in the face. As well, Stephen Gerrard said after the game, we won't be doing any kissing for a few days, which if you look at his Instagram, he'll be very, very disappointed <laughs> with. But again, that's an, another moment. You know, that's a, a nasty challenge in there, having stitches on on, on the old mouth. Yeah, I, I don't really get how he's able to have that and there not be some form of major repercussions. Um, very weird situation. And his lip does look awful. Um, I don't envy him because um, it looks like he must have had five or six stitches put in. So mm. again, I just don't understand how that doesn't warrant major a major penalty, but uh, fair play to the man for being fully committed to the ball. Yeah, the way he stayed on, didn't he? Good, good to see Gerard commented on his bravery after the game as well, saying that's the kind of thing he wants from his players, blood and guts, and, you know, stay on the pitch, put your body on the line and do everything you can for the badge. So Stephen Gerrard would have liked to have seen that from Douglas Louise. Second half, obviously, is where Villa have, have lost the game. I think on the balance of the second half, I would probably say... West Ham deserved it. Holly, would you agree with that? Yeah, I think so. Like I said, it felt like West Ham were more clinical in the chances that they did have in the second half, um, whereas Villa kind of struggled in the final third more. Um, So I I do think they deserved it. Um, I think especially if you look at the second goal, you know, Declan Rice winning the ball back and really driving forward with it. You know, he was the real kind of spearhead for that second goal. Um, 
So it kind of just felt that there was a couple of individual performances and a couple of key players for West Ham that that kind of sealed the deal for them and, and took all three points. But, you know, I, I think also Ramsey getting the, the consolation goal, a little bit of a boost for him, shows what he's about continuously. Um, but ultimately, I think West Ham did deserve it. Yeah, woke up a bit after we scored, which was a little bit annoying. And I would have preferred we'd have, we'd have woke up in the second half a little bit earlier. Antonio went off injured. I was quite pleased with that at the time. I thought that that's a good thing. They don't really have another striking option to bring on, but they end up bringing on Yarmolenko. I think the last time Yarmolenko scored was against Villa on the last day of the, would it have been 2019-20 season when Villa just about managed to stay up in that final game of, of, of the season. So he hasn't scored in the Premier League since then, but you know, with what's going on in the world at, at the moment, I think no Villa fan, no football fan, Really begrudged him the goal, an emotional moment for him too. He's a good finish as well, actually, to be fair to him. A good good finish from Yarmolenko. I haven't seen it back on the screen, but on Match of the Day too, it was commented that the Villa fans were applauding him scoring as well, which is a, a nice touch. Not Nice to see that in all the chaos that can be football, you know, the human side hasn't been lost at all with what's going on in the world. So if anyone was going to score, I guess, for, for West Ham, I think we'd have all chose Yarmolenko. Yeah, I think it's a tricky one. It's like when um, when England played Denmark in, in the Euros, you kind of almost felt bad if if we beat them because of obviously the Christian Eriksen situation that happened at the start of the tournament. And kind of same again for Yarmolenko when he scored. You can't not really be mad because, like you said, because of all the, the stuff going on outside in the real world, you, you kind of feel really happy for him. And obviously it was quite he was quite visibly upset when he scored as well, which was, which was really sweet for him. Um, I, it's quite funny because you said obviously you were quite pleased that Antonio went off, but I feel like he hasn't been playing that great this season for West Ham. No, that's kind probably of in the a fair end. comment. So when he went, yeah, when he, when he went off, I know that they don't have like you said a long list of attacking options, but I was like, oh, I kind of like him to stay home because he really hasn't been performing well for West Ham. So um, I, I saw kind of the the little news update that Yarmolenko was coming on, and I was like, mm, okay, this could be this could be fine. But like you said, it was a really good goal from him and. I was I was on a personal level really happy for him and, and definitely wasn't mad that it was him that scored. Um equally the the second goal, the four nails goal, was was really good by West Ham, just how clinical they were with their passing and build up and, and kind of adding extra men to the attack as quickly as possible right towards the end of the game as well, which can always be sometimes difficult, especially if your team's quite tired. So again, it was just West Ham being quite clinical with their chances. In fairness, you know, I look back and before that goal there's the Danny Ings chance that was a good save from Fabianski onto the post and then a great save from Emi Martinez from Zuma and Dawson probably should have stuck the rebound away if, if, if we're being honest. But other than that, as much as I would say West Ham were having the better of the half, there wasn't any other real chances of note before that goal. So it does show you how, how, how tight the game was. And Steven Gerrard said Villa lost the game on moments and that, that's probably true. I wouldn't even say it was particularly an, an error. For, for that first goal, perhaps we could have got closed him down a, a little bit quicker, but he's, he's took it quickly and, and, and took probably a snapshot that the, the defence and the goalkeeper weren't expecting. But 70 minutes in, it does show that that was a, there was nothing really in that game. I think the XG said that it nil nil was was about right. So in some ways, progress because West Ham did play us off the park at Villa Park earlier in the season, absolutely smashed us to bits. Yeah, definite progress. That's why I keep kind of saying, you know, West Ham took their moments and they were clinical in front of goal because. I agree with you. There was only one or two moments where both teams had real opportunity to take the lead um, before the the goals actually counted. Um, So I think that's probably why, like we both said, we're not quite as frustrated with the defeat because progress has been made. Like you said, we, we, it was a narrow defeat, 
because West Ham took their chances on the day and, you know, with where West Ham are in the league and what they're able to do with the team they have, I think a narrow defeat like this really isn't isn't that bad and hopefully we can kind of pull off similar sort of performances against the other teams that are at the top end of the table because those points will be key for where Villa look to finish this season. So, um, yeah, not oh, I don't think Gerard can be overly disappointed with the performance. I think, um, like Greg wrote about Konza and whether he'll come back into the squad, I think the thing for Gerard now is what, what little tweaks does he make to make sure the team isn't going to lose and potentially can hold out a draw um, if that needs to be kind of, if that's the situation Villa find themselves in. So I was at an evening with Tyra Mings on, on Monday night, which obviously came after the West Ham game, the, the day after the West Ham game. And Tyra Mings kind of said when he was asked about it, you know, you, we're a mid-table side at the moment. That's not where we want to be. We want to be pushing top six, but at the moment the reality of the situation is we are a mid-table side. So if you're a mid-table side, you don't win every week. You win. You might win a few in a row, you might lose a few in a row. And I thought that was probably quite an accurate description because we just won three in a row, which was which was great. Realistically, we're then unlikely to go to West Ham and make it four in a row because of where we are in the table and because I actually think there's that much between the two sides. I think West Ham are further ahead in what they're doing under, under David Moyes, obviously, because he's been there for longer and he, he, he's... He, the, the only difference between the two sides, for me, is stature. And that's what Gerard spoke about. I've thought this for years about Villa. There's a real lack of physicality in the Villa side, except for Tyro Mings. Whereas you look at West Ham, you know, Suchek and Rice in the middle of the park are very, very formidable. Zuma and Dawson, two massive centre-halves. Antonio, when he plays up front, is a, is a very strong guy as well. You know, When Villa come up against those teams, they usually don't get a result. And I thought that was telling after the game that Steven Gerrard kind of spoke about the fact that he, we need to get some physicality in the side. And when Villa do look at the midfield area in the summer... I'm hoping myself that's something that's addressed because it's something that I've want, wanted addressed probably even in the championship, I used to think it. Yeah, definitely. I saw a lot of people on Twitter after the game saying kind of one of the key differences between West Ham and, and ourselves was just that like, if only we had our own version of Declan Rice, if, if we only had our own version of, of, a, of a CDM that's that brings that physicality like you mentioned and Obviously, Declan Rice was pivotal in, in that second goal for West Ham. And, and that is kind of the position that Villa are lacking in. Obviously, you know, it was a position that was looked at in the January transfer window. It's not the position that was filled. Um, so, you know, Villa are left with Douglas Louise, who had a had, had a bloody lip. So it's probably good reason why he wasn't maybe then 100% invested in the game and, and able to perform at his highest. And, you know, when you're playing that same mid three of of Jacob Ramsey, John McGinn, Douglas Suiz, week in, week out in such a demanding area, it, it's not going to come as a surprise to me if if one of them or two of them isn't able to put in a hundred percent each week because the the Premier League is so punishing and and it demands so much energy all the time. So it's definitely the area that Villa need to improve in, and and it will add to that physicality, like like you just mentioned that Gerard has mentioned about. So. I think that is the key area to bolster in, and and like Ming said, that Villa need to be pushing to be higher than a, than a mid-table team than what they are now, and I think that position alone could really push Villa it towards the European places next season. Yeah, I might come back to that Tyrone Ming's evening see if I can conjure up and remember anything that he said because it was it was a really good evening and probably some things that the people listening to his podcast would like to hear about. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep. 
You heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard it right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask me. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Subs made a, a decent impact, Holler, but Brendan and Bailey coming on were, were both lively. I mean, when you spend the money that Villa have spent on them two in the summer and they're, they're sat on the bench, it actually shows that Villa have at least got a little bit of a squad. Now, been able to bring on two £35 million players is definitely a step forward from the last few years. I think the good thing about the, the signings that came in in the January transfer window is, is they're signings that are going to be testing players that were previously in, in Gerard's starting eleven before the window opens. So obviously Coutinho has kind of taken Buendia's spot in that front three and, and now Gerard's found a way to play Ings and Watkins together. So that, that puts more pressure on Buendia not being in the starting eleven. Um, and the same could be said for, for Chambers coming in um, during that window and kind of putting that pressure on Konza as well. And I, I think it kind of feels like the first time that players are having to work hard to be in that starting eleven. So when Buendia came on and Bailey came on, they know they've got to prove that they should be potentially in the starting eleven. And, and you could see that definitely from from Buendia, from the highlights I've been able to see, because I couldn't obviously watch the game on TV on the weekend. Buendia looked really sharp, um, obviously won the ball back high up the pitch for the for the Jacob Ramsey goal. Um, Bailey, I don't think the highlights for him were quite as kind. Obviously, he lost, I think it was him that lost the ball for the for the four nows goal um, towards the end of the match. But both still did look quite sharp and energetic. I will say he was he was good he when was he came good. on. He showed, he showed flashy. Maybe not the best defensively, which probably, you know, talks about his game a, a little bit. But, you know, going forward, he created a couple of things. He whipped in a lovely little ball. For Buendia, which perhaps Buendia should have scored off before he was involved in the goal for Ramsey, Emmy Buendia, you know. But by, I thought he looked sharp and, and looked lively. He just hasn't had a run no. all season, has not been able to stay fit, fit at all. So we've just not managed to see the best of him. We've seen it fleetingly in cameos, but I'm still hoping it works out for Leon Bailey because I, I think he's a superb player. He was absolutely brilliant in the Bundesliga. He had a, he had an off season the season before last, but you know last season he was brilliant in the in the Bundesliga for Leverkusen. I was really really excited about him. He just hasn't caught a break since he's been here. But bringing those kind of players on, it can change a game for you. But perhaps Gerard maybe looks at himself and thinks, mm, could I've got them two on earlier earlier to impact the game and maybe when it was at nil nil make the change. I've seen a few Villa fans say that on, on Twitter. Perhaps that's something that we can we can talk about. Maybe making the subs a little bit earlier. I remember last season with Dean Smith I felt there were sometimes times when Villa were chasing the game or, you know, needed to push for a win and, and the right subs weren't made at the right time. Um, and players weren't ultimately just given enough time on the pitch to kind of get warm and get involved and, and kind of figure the game out. Um I think when Deer and Bailey showed they're both great impact subs in terms of pushing up high and put pl- applying pressure high up the pitch like you said Bailey I wouldn't say is great for tracking back so it can leave that midfield space open um, Buendia has become a lot better at it in, in recent weeks so I think he's slightly more reliable in terms of being able to to track back and push up quite quickly so I think if Villa are chasing a game and looking for a winner those two substitutes are are perfect because they're both so attacking minded and same could be said for, for Morgan Sanson you know he's shown glimpses of of really positive performances towards the attacking third so I think 
at the moment the bench kind of caters towards chasing so I think maybe Gerard isn't wanting to make those changes too quickly because he doesn't want to leave the space too open too quickly because that is ultimately what led to to the second goal for West Ham as well in, in my opinion so I think it's just finding that balance but I think sometimes we do need to make those substitutes a little bit quicker. You've already touched on it, but let's talk about Global. He is on his travels today, so he's, he's not on the podcast, but he did write something about the concert conundrum. It's going to be interesting to see whether concert can get back inside. Chambers hasn't really done anything wrong, but I don't think Ezri Concert would be too happy being sat on the bench for, for too long either. He probably understands it at the, at the moment, but any chance he'll come back in for Arsenal? Do you think... Do you think do you, Gregory then I've gone back to 1998 John Gregory <laughs> making the changes any chance Gerard will, will bring concert back in at the weekend I don't know you know I think part of me thinks he'll want Chambers to play against his former club it's always kind of that little bit of vendetta against your previous club I mean it doesn't seem like Chambers left Arsenal uh, unamicably so maybe there wouldn't really be much of a a grudge match there but I think you know if, if, if you've got a player who knows how the other team plays and knows how to counter them why, why not try and utilise that to your advantage? So part of me thinks having Chambers on would be more of an advantage than a disadvantage. But, I mean, I think I've already mentioned it before. I've mentioned it in pre- uh, previous articles when I've got involved on Villa-related things. I do love Esri Konza. I do think he's great. I think Chambers and Mings, when Villa are in possession, play quite similarly in terms of looking to get slightly higher up. And I think that that can obviously cause an issue, whereas Konza and, and Mings, I think, do vary their styles. Um but Mings has looked weirdly, I don't know if you've noticed the same thing, but Mings has looked a bit more composed next to Chambers, I would say, whereas, you know, in recent weeks, in recent weeks sorry, Mings and Consa looked a little bit just disjointed um, when uh, Villa were being pressed. So I hate to say it, but I think Chambers will be the one that Gerard sticks with. But I, I love Esri Consa, so I hope he's back in the team soon. Yeah, good to have those problems there. Nice yeah, problems to definitely. have. I mean, and we don't want to con- we don't want to congratulate Global for doing his job too much because it is his job to do writing. But he has been busy this week. There's been a, been a few articles knocking around. And if you're not already subscribed to the Athletic, you can do so at the moment for just a pound a month for the first six months. Just go to theathletic.com/slash/villapod. By doing that, you'll get full access to all our great writing and ad-free versions of the Athletic's podcasts, including this one. That's theathletic.com/slash/villapod. Now, Global Greg has also been writing about 18-year-old goalkeeper Philip Marshall, who Villa sent out on loan to National League Northside Gateshead at the end of January. The Tynesiders, managed by former Newcastle centre-half Mike Williamson, have been top of the league since October. So it's not just first-team football. It's a successful outfit who are flying high, and he started very, very well. We're delighted to be able to discuss this fascinating story with North East football journalist Dan Wales. Dan, welcome to the show. Thanks ever so much for coming on. You okay? I am. Thank you very much for having me on. Yeah, interesting topic, this one. Something that probably escaped my attention a little bit. But just talk us through how Philip Marshall's ended up at Gateshead. Because I think there was a goalkeeper, Jacob Chapman, who was recalled by Huddersfield with the, with the team top of the table. So he had some big gloves to fill, but he started well. Yeah, that's right. Jacob Chapman, who was on loan from Huddersfield at Gateshead and has been since the start of the season, was suddenly recalled quite unexpectedly, in my opinion, towards the end of the January transfer window. And so Gates had had to make quite a quick move to replace him because they had no other first-team keeper at that point. And considering that this is a team sat top of the National League North, a keeper was was needed. Um, and so they drafted in Philip Marshall on loan from Aston Villa, as you mentioned there. And 
as Jacob Chapman has left, you know, he has left some some big boots to fill because Jacob Chapman did very well at Gateshead, made some impressive saves in his time there as well. But Phillips come in and he's done really well. You know, he has been tested. There's been some games where perhaps, well, his debut, for example, had a bit of a buttons and fire, which I'm sure we'll get on to. But he's done well and he's stood up to the challenge and Gateshead remain top of the National League North despite him coming in and having to replace Jacob Chapman. Straight in. 3-0 defeat on the debut. Not not an ideal start. Could have seen him shrink a little bit, but there's been six games unbeaten since. Has he been a busy boy in goal? Because I think Mike Williamson plays quite attractive football, quite quite open football. Has he had a lot to do in those games? Oh, yeah, just, just, just on that first game against AFC Fylde, it was, as I say, a baptism of fire completely. 3-0 defeat at home, which is not what Gates have been used to this season because up to that point, I think they'd only been beaten once at home and they, their home record had been fantastic. But then Fylde turned up and just, well, I wouldn't say tore them to shreds. I think they got the goal in the first half. And then as Gator were pushing for an equaliser in the second, two counter-attacks towards the end of the game, finished them off. And to be honest, Philip couldn't really do much about the goals that he actually conceded. It was sort of poor defending and with a lot of men committed forward, he was sort of left a bit exposed. But yeah, Gator do play some really, really attractive football. They are by far and away the National League North top goal scorers. You just need to look at the, the, their front four. Macaulay Langstaff on 21 goals, Kedwin Scott on 18, Paul Blackett on 10 and Adam Campbell on 9 already at this stage of the season. And that's just the front four and that's not even mentioned in the midfield yet. They're doing fantastically well, but to be fair, they do concede a few goals and they, they have had their defensive frailties at times, which has meant that Philip Marshall has been tested. But I'm happy to report he has stood up to the test and to be fair, they haven't actually conceded too many. They did concede a couple at the weekend against Gloucester, a 4-2 win, but... Still, another win for Gateshead. And he's, he's done well. I mean, you could tell he was a bit nervous and shaky on that first game against Fylde and he did concede three goals. But since then, he has steadied the ship a bit and has pulled out some really impressive saves, just like his predecessor, Jacob. Yeah, I don't know whether you read Greg's piece on The, on the Athletic about him. I think it came out yesterday. But he only became a goalkeeper by accident at 30, which is which is quite mad to only start doing something that probably other goalkeepers do from a much younger age. You know, to only be 13, he hasn't actually been a goalkeeper that long. But also it might help him with the modern style of goalkeepers being good at his, with his feet because he was a defender previously. Mm, I mean, it, it did strike me as quite remarkable because I hadn't heard about this until I read Greg's piece yesterday, to be honest. And so, yeah, I mean, goalkeepers normally, you're, you're embedded into that position from a very young age, but in this case, completely different and to be fair, you wouldn't know that because he seems a natural in goal, which of course is perhaps testament to the coaching he's had since. I think you're right, of course, you know, in the modern game of football, every player is supposedly meant to be actually able to play football and be good on the ball. And he, he does seem that, he, he does seem comfortable on the ball. You know, Gator, as, as we mentioned, are, are an attractive side. They like to keep the ball, they like to pass it around, spray it around. And he's very happy to be involved in that and, and, and not just play it long every time he can play it to the fence. Gator like to play out from the back quite a lot and he's very much happy to be a part of that. Do you think he, if, if and one day he, when he comes back to Aston Villa, should injuries come in or when he gets a bit older, do you think he'll be given the chance? He's got, he's got a very good goalkeeper to get past at the moment and Emmy Martinez, potentially one of the one of the best in the world at the, at the moment and Emmy's obviously just signed a, signed a new deal. But, you know, I, don't, I think the important thing to remember is I think Villa have tons of players, obviously, in the academy, they don't just develop players to end up playing for Villa. Obviously, that's the ultimate goal, but they want everyone that's there to go on and, and, and have a good career. And it sounds like at the moment, he's having a good good time at Gateshead. I wanted to ask you, you're saying about Gateshead like to play out fr- from the back. 
from what you've seen of him, would you think, say that's one of the reasons he was identified by Gateshead because he's that good with his feet? I'd say so, yes. I mean, Jacob Chapman was quite similar, to be honest. Yeah. He also liked to get on the ball and and wasn't always just prone to, to just pumping it into the midfield. That's not how Gateshead play under Mike Williamson. And so clearly they've, when they've known that Jacob's was going to leave, they've identified a keeper who could fill a similar role to him. Obviously, the shot stopping is really good from both of them, but it is that style of football, the playing out from the back and not being afraid on the ball, which, of course, you know, in, in the past, perhaps some keepers, you know, get the ball, just get rid of it straight away. Jacob wasn't like that, and Phillips certainly isn't like that either, which it is, it is a sign of the moving game of football, isn't it, in terms of how every player can play football, which I like. As I say, I think it is football is really, really good to watch. It's easy on the eye. And despite, you know, they're a National League North side, which is the sixth year in English football, but they could be playing higher. And I, I do think they'll get promoted this season. I mean, they're still sat top of the league with only just over 10 games to play. And and so fair play to Mike Williamson for, for getting this set up in and, and understanding that, you know, the goalkeeper is a member of the team as well and not just someone who's between the sticks and just gets rid of the ball when he has to. So... Yeah, I mean, overall, Jacob was very good and Philip has been very good since as well. Yeah, he's got two caps for Poland under-19s, although Greg says he's concentrating on England, who he has represented previously at under-18s level. Just before we let you go, if you get to get promoted, which is obviously the the ambition of the club, you don't sit top of the league at this stage and, and not want to go up, would you say there's a chance they'd take him on loan again and enable him to play at a higher level? I don't see why not. I mean, it would be great for his career development, wouldn't it, to keep getting sort of games at this level of football, obviously it'll be another rung up the ladder, but realistically, as you mentioned, you've got Emmy Martinez at Aston Villa who isn't going to be giving up his position at any time soon. And so when you've got these young players who are needing games and needing experience in men's football, because of course it's it's a much better learning experience than playing under 23s constantly because it's not the same game. It could happen. I mean, I think if Gator were given the opportunity to keep him for another year or another six months, I think they would because he's bettered in really well. And as I say, he's, he seems confident now, hasn't conceded too many goals. Of course, that first game, a bit of an outlier, but since then, hasn't really conceded too many goals, has looked confident in the team. So if Gates said were to go up, I could see him staying for another six months, another year. And I think that would do his experience really, really good. Excellent. Well, thanks ever so much for coming on the show and chatting to us about Philip. It's been a pleasure to talk to you. It's quite all right. Thank you very much for having me on. Victorinox, the makers of the original Swiss Army Knife, have been a reliable companion for life's everyday challenges, mastering functionality, innovation, iconic design, and uncompromising quality with its products. The Victorinox Swiss Army Knife provides you with all the things you don't think about until you need it. Tweezers, a screwdriver, and even a corkscrew. With the Victorinox Swiss Army Knife, you can be prepared to master everyday life. You can find Victorinox Swiss Army Knives at Dick's Sporting Goods. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. DirecTV gives you access to apps like Netflix and live sports right next to each other. I don't get it. Let me put it in pigeon terms. It's like that one amazing dumpster with the old fruits and cardboard all in one place. How am I supposed to keep up with illustrative metaphors when you are making me so hungry? Get live TV and streaming apps together without a satellite. Visit directtv.com. Requires high-speed internet-connected Gemini device and separate paid subscription to watch Netflix on DirecTV. Terms and restrictions apply.
Right, Holly, sticking with the goalkeeper theme, Hannah Hampton put on another spectacular show at the weekend before conceding a heartbreaking last-minute goal. Sam Kerr winning it for Chelsea late, who did actually celebrate like they'd won the league, but it, it was a big, big goal. But Hannah Hampton, I think the Villa women's Instagram said Hannah Hampton doing Hannah Hampton things, and she's a very, very good goalkeeper. Yeah, I mean, she continues to blow my mind, does Hannah Hampton. Obviously, we all know now about the story of that she doesn't have any depth perception and yet continues to be one of the best goalkeepers in the WSL at such a young age. Um, and she's just continuing to build on, on her progression, which is great to see. And I really hope that, that Villa can keep her next season because she will be key to their ex- success if they're looking to try and, and push towards the top six um, of the league. So um, like you mentioned, she pulled out far, off the top of my head four or five absolutely clinical saves that, that were, were must say, like must must make those saves, otherwise Villa will concede. Um, and it was, I think that game was more heartbreaking for me, for Villa to lose than the men's game because... Chelsea are one of the best teams in Europe. Um, they've proved that season after season. And Emma Hayes is an unbelievable manager. I'm not saying Carl Ward isn't, but Emma Hayes has got more experience and also a team of of world renowned players um, at her, her taking. So to to be nil nil with Chelsea for so long deserves po- a, a point minimum within itself. So. To concede that late goal is really heartbreaking and, and Sam Kerr has celebrated the way she has. For those who haven't seen it, she she took her top off and it was spinning it around the top of her head because it, it's a must-win game for Chelsea who are chasing Arsenal at the top of the league and, and, and are looking to win the WSL again. So um, it's quite funny because it was basically that uh, that photo, I don't know if you've seen it, of Emma Hayes going to celebrate with the Chelsea players, but it looks like Emma Hayes is a Villa fan who's run onto the pitch to go and fight Sam Kerr because she's scored at the last minute. And it, it's a great photo. Um, if you haven't seen it, you should have a look for it online because it is, it is brilliant. But yeah, heartbreaking for Villa. I think Hannah Hampton, I don't know, Villa need to bolster defensively next season. Hannah Hampton's been great in goal game after game after game. But ultimately, if you've got a defence that that can't last ninety minutes, which has been the case sometimes for uh, for Aston Villa, Hannah Hampton can only do so much. So hopefully, Villa will bolster their defensive line next season because I think at the moment that is kind of their weakest area. But still, a lot of really good positives to take away from from a narrow one nil defeat to to a team that were in the Champions League final last season. Would Anna Hampton be someone that more established WSL teams would potentially look at in the summer? Obviously, there's, there's a lot of heat around her. Heat's probably not the right word, but you know what I mean. She's getting a lot of attention. She made of England debut, recently played very well, got man of the match, making all those saves at the weekend against a big side in, in, in Chelsea. Is she potentially someone that bigger clubs would, would look at and try and take from Villa? I think so, definitely. Like I said, I really hope that they're able to keep her. I think Hannah Hampton has a really good relationship with Carla Ward. Obviously, she followed Ward from Birmingham City to Villa this season. Um, but it wouldn't surprise me. Uh, Chelsea and Arsenal, their two goalkeepers are, you know, starting to get older and starting to, you know, they're still great, both great goalkeepers. But, you know, Arsenal and Chelsea will both need to look for for, for future options. And, and Hannah Hampton could be that one with how well Tottenham have done. It wouldn't surprise me if they potentially look to get her in as well because she has been so great for Aston Villa and I definitely think she's worthy of competing in a top four team. Um, Yeah, I think what Hannah Hampton has proven is that after that England debut that she got um, very recently is that she can become one of the very best and she's she's really already really testing Ellie Roebuck who's kind of England's number one at the moment. She's kind of testing Ellie Roebuck for that number one spot so it wouldn't surprise me if she if she's kind of being sought after this summer. Yeah, Emma Hayes said she'd go home and celebrate by watching one of the Avengers movies. 
what's the end game for Villa women this season? It's a really good question. I mean, they are comfortably above Villa, uh, Birmingham City, sorry, who are sat bottom of the table. Um, it looks very likely that they won't be able to survive the drop this season, which is is actually quite sad because they have obviously been in the top flight of the women's game since it since it formed. Um, but I think Villa have everything left to play for. Um, I think they have the potential to finish sixth based on how results go for the teams above them. Um, obviously Everton have had a slightly better run of form recently so they've they've hopped above Villa at the moment but I think for for Carla Ward and, and for Aston Villa I think the aim is to just finish as high as possible and then look to bring in some some bigger better names um, I think ultimately what it comes down to is is how much investment there is from from outside sponsors potentially from the men's team as well Um You'd like to think if the men's team got European football, that means more income and that could also potentially mean more income for the women's side as well. Um, ultimately, with where the women's league is progressing now, in my opinion, is that more money is needed to get those bigger players as, as more contracts are, more expensive contracts are being kind of drafted up. So hopefully Villa can have that financial aspect and, and bring in those big players such as Jill Scott, who they bought in on loan in January. So I think Carla Ward and, and Villa could do very good things towards the end of this season and into next. Arsenal on Saturday for the men's team, Holly lunchtime kickoff. Villa's got a terrible record against the top eight this season. <laughs> After having a pretty good one last season, this season the record against the top eight has not been good at all. But a home game against a team that would probably be quite open. I mean, they're on fire, Arsenal, at the moment. They've got a game tonight against Liverpool. They're playing really, really well at the moment. But I do feel like it's a game that could suit Villa because if a team tries to play football, there's more space, yeah, which suits Villa. Definitely. I mean, you really love Arsenal, don't you? So, I mean, it'll be a really good, fun game to watch from your point you know, of view. You know what? You know what? They've surprised me mm. this season. I got, I got them wrong at the start of the season. I do remember after the first three games going on the Totally Football Show. <laughs> I don't think I can't really remember a top four looking as clear so early in a season as it does this season. Can, can you see either Arsenal or Tottenham coming back to comp- to even compete for you know even for fourth place? I'd say Arsenal are more likely to finish bottom four than top four. <sighs> Fell into that trap so beautifully. And that was one of those things that was pictured up and posted as a tweet. So I've got a feeling at the end of the season when they finish that's top four. That's going to come back to bite you, isn't it? Yeah, that's going to yeah. be one that Arsenal fan. I get the odd Arsenal fan tweet me and give me a bit of jip as is because they're doing so well at the moment. So I'd like us to win. I still think they'll finish top four even if Villa beat them. But Villa have won the last two home games against Arsenal. So basically you want Villa to win just so that you're not berated by Arsenal fans on Twitter for saying that they're more like Twitch boxes. I would like Villa to win (laughs) anyway, Holly. I I, I like Villa to win every every week, believe believe it or not. Yeah, not not just because because of Twitter, but if I actually fancy us, I actually fancy us against Arsenal on Saturday, which is dangerous. Yeah, like I said, I do kind of think Chambers will play and I think that that could play a really important part in in Villa understanding how Arsenal are going to approach the game. Although it does feel like something has clearly changed tactically within Arsenal for them to to be now doing so well. Um, I think it depends a little bit on how their performance goes tonight. Mm. I I really hope Liverpool, (laughs) it sounds horrible, but I really hope Liverpool, you know, show Arsenal that they're, they're one of the best and that Arsenal are still looking to progress um, and aren't near the, the top two, top three teams just yet. So I'm kind of hoping they get a bit of humble pie themselves and, and are, are shown that they're not quite where they need to be and it kind of rocks them a little bit. But ultimately, teams can also bounce back from that and, and fight harder in, in their following game after a heavy defeat. So I think it's all to play for. Villa have a really good home record at the moment. I feel like, like you said, it's a decent one against Arsenal as well. So... 
I don't know. I'm, I don't want to be too optimistic and say a win, but I would definitely take a draw against Arsenal. Villa got a free week as well. You know, Arsenal got a tough game and further than an early kickoff on Saturday. There might be a little bit of fatigue in there, so hopefully maybe that can play a part as well. Global Greg says that this week Villa are going to decide which young players are offered a contract ahead of next season. Tommy O'Reilly's already signed a new deal. That was announced by the club on Tuesday, I think it was. Greg expects Teddy Rowe, Frankie Ealing, DJ Sturridge and Taylor J Hart to get offered new deals. I actually do know that one of them has signed a new deal. I won't say which one, but one of them is already on board. Connie Chuck with Mecca is set to enter contract negotiations in the summer. Not one to panic about just yet, Holly, but I think we probably would need to see him getting some more football before the end of the season. Yeah, definitely. I think while Villa, uh, I think we said about it earlier in the podcast, uh, that you know Villa want to add development to the to their system and 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 utilize the youth players when necessary. But also, we've mentioned it on recent podcasts previously that you know Villa are looking to do good business. So if that means offering the the development players contracts now so that they're able to sell them on for a, for a decent amount of money i think i think carney chukwemeka is one of those players that that villa can benefit from both within the first year or two of, of a new contract but also financially when, when he potentially moves on to another club but i would really like to see him stay at villa for another couple of seasons see what he can offer see what he can see, see what he can prove and, and see if he is a premier league player which i definitely think he's already started to show so he's definitely one of the players that excites me the most just to finish, I did say about the evening with Tyrone Mings on Monday night. Really, really great evening, great questions from Michelle Owen. It was a really good function, actually. I really, really enjoyed being there. And Tyrone Mings, he knows what he's doing, doesn't he, Holly? He's, he's such a great talker. One of the most interesting footballers to interview, I would say. And you know, someone who I just walked away from that event thinking, quite lucky to have him as, as captain of our football club because he, he genuinely cares. He's a, he's a good person and he's a great defender as well. Yeah, and I, I think he probably actually plays quite a big part in, in Villa having such like a kind of family ethos and a family kind of feel yeah, he talked about that. to the team. I, I don't know if people saw on Twitter, there was quite a few photos of, of some of the Villa players at, up at the races um, over the last day or two. And I, I think that he really helps drive that. I think a lot of players stay at Villa because of that kind of family feel the club has. And I think that's why so many players now care and, and talk so passionately about Aston Villa. And I think that can only really start from from having such a passionate captain and such a passionate manager. So Mings, I feel like, can get a lot of stick quickly and easily when he doesn't have the best game. If he's not jumping up for a header and is beat to the ball by, say, Dan James, who's half his size. Um, but ultimately, I think he offers way more off the pitch than any other player that Villa have and and I think that that's been shown uh, through the evening that, that, that he hosted at Villa Park and I, he's a lovely man isn't he so I, I don't see him going anywhere anytime soon because you can tell how much the club means to him and hopefully kind of the the ethos and the positive family feel around the club will continue to develop and, and be a key part as to why Villa, you know, are potentially in European places next season. Well, interestingly, and I didn't know this until, until Monday night, he said he was a Liverpool fan as a kid and that Steven Gerrard was his absolute hero. Oh, I never knew that too. Yeah. No, no, that was a that was a that was a new one to, to me. So he said he was just wowed when Steven Gerrard walked in, walked into the building because he absolutely used to be his hero as a kid. So that's quite a, quite a nice thing, really, isn't it? That is very sweet. That I feel like that would be weird. It's like one of those you should never meet your heroes, and now he's he's literally being managed by one of his heroes. So that's that is very sweet. Maybe that's why he's you know really started to perform better since Gerrard's come in. 
yeah, he said he was like buzzing to hold on to the captaincy and stuff. I, I did speak to him a little bit after, after the event. I got, got the vibe he might, might, might listen to the podcast or be an, an athletic oh. subscriber. So who, who knows? But that was that was just the vibe. He's secretly your I biggest was taken fan. away from it. Well, I don't know. I'm probably his biggest fan. He's probably not reciprocated. But yeah, I got, I got the vibe he either listens or reads The Athletic in some way. That does us for today. Holly, thanks ever so much for joining me. Nice to see you again after all your weeks off. Maybe we get the three of us together again next week. Who knows? Next that week, seems to be sure the impossible. Maybe I'll, take a, maybe I'll take a week off. Everyone else seems to be doing it. <laughs> Don't leave me to host. Yeah, there you go. Get yourself a new gig. As I say, thanks for joining me on the podcast today. And thanks to Dan for chatting to us about Philip Marshall as well. We'll be back next week post-Arsenal game. Please, please, let's beat Arsenal. I don't want any abuse on Twitter. Have a good rest of the week and up the villa. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.